Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello everybody and welcome to Carolina Newsmakers. Kevin Leonard is our guest today. He is the Executive Director of the North Carolina Association of County Commissioners, an organization that uh, represents all 100 counties in North Carolina. Kevin joined the association in June of 2009, and so... uh, you're getting to be quite a veteran there, uh, uh, Kevin. And, yeah. and those uh, say you may have trouble keeping a job. Well, I guess you're just going against the grain on that. <laughs> I, I, I guess so. I'm lucky to be here for sure. Well, let's open up because I think it's been some time since we've had you on so that the listeners will know exactly what the County Commissioners Association is all about. Uh, it was uh, – how it was formed and, and what its basic functions are and, and uh, how you serve these 100 counties of North Carolina. I'd love to tell you about it, Mr. Curtis. And it's always a pleasure to be on your show and and to be with your listeners. Thanks so much for having me and, and us, the, uh, the county association, uh, visit with you. Um, so our association started in uh, 1908. Um, there's a gentleman named C.E. Foy who was a commissioner from Craven County, uh, who is credited with uh, being the father of the association. And his idea was pretty simple. It's uh, uh, a lot better for us to to talk with one voice at the General Assembly than 100 voices uh, at the General Assembly going down there to talk about the best, what's in best interest of county county government. And so we were really born out of that type of advocacy. little fun fact for your listeners, in uh, 1908, there actually was um, 98 counties. We didn't have 100. Counties are created by statute by the, by the state government, by the General Assembly. And, uh, and so in 1908, we only had 98. It wasn't until 1911 that they, uh, they, they rounded us out with a good uh, even number there at 100. It's, it's great for percentages, by the way. Um, so, uh, just we, out of curiosity, what were the two last counties to join? The the two last counties to join were Avery and Hoke. Okay. Yep. And uh, and there's a long on another day we can talk about how counties you know ended up getting created. They usually were splitting counties in half, but uh, but those were the the two last counties created in North Carolina. As I said, I hope they don't make up any more, take it any way, because it'll mess up the math. <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, but, but back in uh, 1908, we started as an association, really, uh, as I said, um, advocating at the General Assembly. You, you might wonder, why does a government need to advocate for at, at the General Assembly with government, right? But uh, we're an arm of the state, counties are. They're created to help deliver the services of the state government. And, um, and so counties are often having conversations with uh, the state assembly and state agencies about the impacts of legislation and how it's going to, to uh, impact the delivery of those services down at, uh, at the local level, at the county level. And, uh, and, and sometimes when a law is passed at the general assembly with good intentions, it might have uh, unintended consequences of the practical application of that law. And so there's a communication that's necessary between the counties and the state to, to really go back and forth about like, well, how is it working? Well, it's not. We need some tweaks. And so that's really how the advocacy uh, uh, really started and continues to this day. And not only at the state government level, but at, at the congressional level as well. 
And then over the years, we've turned into a, a much more sophisticated organization. Uh, we we offer insurance pools. A lot of uh, private insurance companies do, don't provide or won't provi provide uh, coverage to counties. So we uh, operate um, two insurance pools now, uh, workers' comp and property uh, and lia uh, liability insurance. Uh, for our counties, we cover about 70 out of the, of the 100. Uh, we have an education arm. Uh, we we educate all 500 and, or give the opportunity to educate all 587 county commissioners all across the state and the county managers and department heads, leadership training, technical training about you know how the the laws are 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 to be um, uh, affected and 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 given uh, out and you know how, how things work practically. Uh, we have an annual conference every year. Um, all, everyone in the counties are invited to attend that, the commissioners. Um, and uh, and we have a brand new arm uh, that I'll, I'll tell you about, we can talk about further later. It's called the uh, Strategic Member Services Division. And that really came to life because of the pandemic and the funding that's come down from the federal government. Uh, it's almost a workforce arm in terms of uh, having uh, young MPA uh, graduates or or their their young in their tenure as being an MPA, going out and helping our counties through some highly technical issues related to the ARPA stuff, as well as opioid funding for opioid treatments. But I'll stop there, Don, because I could keep on going because I'm pretty passionate about the work <laughs> that we get to do here, and uh, but happy to go further and in, in, in more depth as as you as you wish. Well, there's there's another. Uh... I guess another segment here that we need to see how the uh, the uh, relations uh, at fall and, and who does what and that are that of course are the municipalities within the counties. Yeah. Uh, so talk about that relationship just a little bit. Absolutely, you know, in the same year that we were formed, so was the League of Municipalities. So there is an association for cities and there's an association for counties, um, and we work closely together. Uh, those two associations, just like sometimes and, and most times, you know, cities and counties uh, work work together. There is a major differentiation between those levels of government. When you live in a, um, by the way, let me stop here and say that we all live in a county. And that's an important distinction. You might not think of it that way or take it for granted. But in our neighbor to the north, Virginia, they actually have two jurisdictions. They have a county and then they have a city. If you are in the city, you're not in the county. I know that's a weird thing to, to think of, of, but in North Carolina, it's, it's a layered cake. There's the, there is the county and then there's the state and then there's the county and then the, the city actually lays on top of, of that. So important to understand that the county, had all 100 counties, in the state of North Carolina have statutory services that they must provide. That means that the General Assembly by law says they have to provide human services. Think about your, your DSS department, your public health, your public health department. Counties, counties in the state of North Carolina are responsible for building schools, the actual school buildings itself, building the courthouse, um, building uh, um, solid waste facilities, a lot of infrastructure, et cetera. And that's accessible to all residents of North Carolina, all citizens. And, and so the counties are really broad in that, in that regard. Cities that sit on top of a, you know, a county and a jurisdiction, a special jurisdiction, uh, it is created. They have a charter 
um, we're created by statute by by the state government, and then a city is created by a charter, a group of people who get together and say we want a special jurisdiction called a city, whatever that city call, is called, and they'll go get a charter uh, with with the state um, to have a city, and then when they get that charter, they can have special additional services that they they uh, they can provide to their to their citizens, and it's a lot of like. Um, just your nuts and bolts services, such as, you know, trash service or um, water and sewer, or in some cases, electric. Um, and then additional, and that, that's very simplistic, by the way. You know, you've got cities that are very sophisticated entities that provide a lot of different things uh, to their citizens. So they work in harmony most times. Um, and and there there is this give and take between city government and county government. But Again, I'm biased in in where I sit because I work for counties. Counties have a much broader, I guess, mission uh, to provide level of services to all all citizens, whether they're in a city or not. Um, they they're they're uh, they're required to, to to give those services out. Okay, we also have a, a, a sort of a, a unique thing with counties in that we elect a sheriff, whereas in the city, uh, the law enforcement is appointed. So uh, is that statute? Is that to yeah. my statute? Great, great point. You know, I um, um, I often say that uh, by design in North Carolina, county commissioners are collaborators, um, and and that's a it's a great distinction that you make about the cities because and the sheriff's a perfect example because the sheriff is an elected official in our constitution. You know, you have to elect a sheriff in each county. Um, in the city, the police chief is appointed um, and is hired and reports to the city manager. Um, I, the the sheriff is is elected by the people, doesn't report to the county commissioners, doesn't report to um, uh, the county manager. He, he, he or she reports to the people. Now, there's a duty by the county commissioners to fund the sheriff's department, just like there's a duty of the county commissioners to fund and to build the schools. And there's a, a totally a separate elected school board. So I'll get back to my statement about county commissioners by design in the state of North Carolina are collaborators. They have not a lot of direct authority uh, to tell an individual like a sheriff or the school board or a group of people, what to do. They have the purse strings, so to speak, and they they provide a budget to the to the um, to the to to those entities within in the county. So um, by the by design, they've got to work with people. They got to build relationships, and they've got to uh, figure a way out to get something done. They can't just tell people, you know, what to do. Uh, and that's a different way of leading. It's a different type of leadership. And uh, and so that's why it's so important that the association provides sort of leadership training and uh, talks about how we collaborate with one another. Um, but, yeah, the sheriff's department is funded by the county, but has no direct authority as to implement policies related to what the sheriff does. The, by the way, the, the county commissioners also fund to build the jail systems in their county as well. But not, but can't, don't have authority to operate that. It's actually the uh, the sheriff's department that operates the jail. Well, it is interesting how, uh, of course, the funding 
<laughs> usually ends up, uh, uh, I guess, uh, giving the county commissioners uh, their voice. As you were saying earlier about uh, the power of the, of the purse strings, or I had mentioned that, but you were talking about it's really the appropriations, the funding, the budget is where the influence can be held by the county commissioners. That's 100% true. I agree with that statement. It's kind of, if you think about it at a national level, Congress holds the purse strings, right? They're, they're in charge of uh, appropriating the, the funding. And it's kind of like that at the county level. The county commissioners um, approve a budget, which funds operations of the county, including the sheriff, the school boards, uh, the public health, et cetera. But they may have diluted uh, authority um, to affect how the, those get um, uh, implemented, uh, so to speak on those other elected officials. So power of the purse strings, pretty, pretty important stuff there at the county level. Well, uh, as you said, it's, it's uh, a matter of consolidation, I guess, more than anything else. And, and by the way, speaking of consolidation, we want to talk about that later on because there is more and more consolidation between city services and county services that uh, started, I guess, about 30 or 40 years ago. And that continues to be a factor. Our guest is uh, Kevin Leonard. He's the executive director of the North Carolina Association of County Commissioners. And we'll be back with another segment right after we take time out for these messages. As veterans, we're no strangers to helping others. It's what we were taught, trained, and told to do. It could be for anything. Helping a friend move. Listening to a fellow veteran for hours at any hour of the day. Or just simply making time for people a neighbor, a loved one, or even a stranger. We're often the first to help others. There's no question about it. But we do have one question for the veterans listening. When is the last time you reached out for help? Perhaps it's time to do for yourself what you would do for others. If you or someone you know needs resources, whether it's for stress, finances, employment, or mental health, don't wait, reach out. Find more information at va.gov slash reach. That's va.gov slash reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it, unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Kevin Leonard, the Executive Director of the North Carolina Association of County Commissioners, is our guest. In our first segment, he gave us an overview of exactly what the county commissioners are uh, charged with as far as their duties and responsibilities. And that was very helpful for understanding the entire picture. Uh, but uh, let's talk about a few more practical problems that the counties might be happening these days uh, or having or having to face. And that, uh, I guess, starts with the word inflation, because inflation is affecting an awful lot of things. And I'm not sure if it's exactly the same way it is with wages, but uh, in many cases, uh, wages don't catch up to inflation. Uh, they're always behind. 
well, I suspect, I'm just guessing, that this is the same thing with uh, expenses of running a county, that uh, – your cost of operating goes up before you're able to adjust the tax base. Great point, Don. Um, Yes, I'd love to talk about that. It's really a big challenge for counties right now, and it's all tied together. Wages, inflation. um, I'll I'll try to to split these things out a bit uh, to talk about them. But workforce is also something that should be wrapped into this discussion as well, uh, especially the, in the public sector. I don't know if folks, you know, think about that when when they're listening to, I think, the national news, mostly they're you know, and, and jobs and, and inflation and, and they're hearing stories about, um, you know, workforce isn't out there. And then they have to increase salaries or wages to gain, in, you know, to get people to work. That's that's hitting right uh, with public sector as well, and um, we're seeing it really acutely in areas related to public safety, uh, sheriffs, deputies, uh, EMS officials, or EMS um, first responders, um, and with the pandemic happening, these are stressful stressful jobs. Uh, so you, you you've seen it somewhat of an exit exodus of, of some of that workforce. So the pool of workers has decreased. The amount of pay for those workers um, is going up. And, um, you know, it, this is a double-edged sword. Thankfully, um, there, has, there have been funds from the federal government to help support the economy coming through the pandemic with uh, with, with with uh, some of the the acts passed by Congress to make sure that the economy did not collapse. And a lot of those funds had have been targeted to local governments for infrastructure. And I'll get to the inflationary cost of good of services in, in a moment. But it, it plays into the workforce issues as as well, because they, they have been able to increase pay for some of those sectors that I, I just mentioned. But then you start this a sort of domino effect from counties, and this applies to cities as well, by the way, but a uh, domino effect of counties paying these groups of, of individuals increased salary, and they move from one county to another. Um, and then it it's just like a musical chairs a little bit because there's going to be a county or counties that, that don't have the workforce. And we're talking about a lot of rural counties in, in North Carolina. Um, and so we're trying really hard uh, with especially with community colleges as a partner to try to build training programs for workforce and the salaries to, to, to create the increased salaries for these groups of individuals. And these are really critical people that we, we must have to to have county government be there for the citizens. You're talking about, you know, people who are driving ambulances and responding to uh, emergencies, and then our deputies uh, out there as well. And so you've seen budgets sort of start to really increase in these sectors. And that's just the workforce. So back over to your question about inflation for goods and services. You know, we we have an opportunity to really invest in infrastructure. And that's great with a lot of these infrastructure dollars, especially in broadband areas and, um, and, and bricks and mortar. 
uh, built, you know, facilities. But what we've seen is the increase in price on on goods, and then the just the services. You, you think about steel, uh, concrete, all of these things, fiber. In fact, for for broadband um, access to these goods and the pipeline really was having an impact. You know, it's getting better. I will say that it's getting better, but it it is certainly having an impact, and it's going to have a long tail on this uh, for for a period of time. So, you know, I, I think. Uh, your your listeners are going to uh, probably you know pick up on these things and see it playing out in their counties across the state. Uh, my, my guess my guess is it's going to resonate the things that I'm saying with them. There's also been a trend for some time now of consolidation of services between city and county, and that's resulted in some savings. Where do we stand on consolidation of those services, and is that uh, trend going to likely continue? continue? Yeah, I think it. I think it will continue um, as as local governments and government in general look for opportunities to create cost saving cost saving uh, measures opportunities. You know, we can highlight tax collection services, which the county is in charge of of collecting property taxes. Um, cities have property taxes as well, and as um, you know, people think of the city, and I'm going to. Speak for my my colleagues over at the league here. You know, when people think of cities, they think of large urban areas. Well, there's a there's a, like over 550, maybe 600 plus cities in the state of North Carolina. A small amount of of those are metropolitan, huge cities. The majority of cities in North Carolina are smaller units, smaller cities, and so they may not have the capacity to. Um, to do all of the services, and they need to partner with the county, who has, in in, in large part, counties have a, a larger system uh, infrastructure of government because they're county, and um, and so they do have a tax office, and they do have personnel. They have a collection office and an assessment office, et cetera. And so you've seen a, a good amount of consolidation of that work in, in that space in North Carolina. Um on a more global, uh, up in the northeastern part of the state, you have a some consolidated health systems, and that's that that's um, multiple counties, not cities and ca- uh, county. That's multiple counties working on that. You have a couple of examples of of a regional jail, um, and so I think you will. Be, I think you will see more of that over time. Um, something that's going on right now, and this is state county led it's really more state led but the consolidation of mental health services in the state of north carolina uh with our local um mental health entities lmes um, or local management entities and managed care uh, organizations they are they are consolidating and so that's another big area that uh is going to have major impacts um in the future about how uh, mental health, behavioral health, and and substance use disorder uh, treatments going to to occur. So there's there's a lot going on in terms of consolidated services, and I think you'll see more of it on a regional basis. As the areas outside the legal municipality limits uh, continue to attract uh, subdivisions and so forth, water and sewage becomes a factor outside the city. Water and sewage is I guess has its heritage as, or legacy as being a city service. Uh, mm-hmm. How's that being handled these days? 
So, you know, it's interesting. Um, there have been some movements in the General Assembly about um, doing away with uh, ETJ or extraterritorial jurisdiction. And in, in 10 years plus ago, there was a major debate on annexation uh, going on in the state of, of North Carolina. And, and again, made mainly a, um, um, a city issue. Uh, but as you raise the point, Don, it, it's a it's an infrastructure issue. Um, that that counties and uh, and cities, but but counties are are more and more, I think, looking at where they're placing infrastructure out into the county for that potential growth. C- cities are a, as well, of course, um, but it has to be done in cooperation with the county. I would say that you know, a lot of our counties are looking at it as an ec- economic development tool mainly. And uh, that makes sense when you think about it, right? If you run, if you run pipes, and again, this is like fundamental stuff we're talking about infrastructure. And I think maybe some sometimes people overlook how how fundamental that is. If you want to incentivize uh, a particular part of a county and push industry and or business and or residential development into a part of the county to start to grow the, the county, you can start to look where you're going to put pipes in, whether it's water or sewer. And that's just kind of fundamental to growth. And to put it on a larger scale, think about roads. You know, uh, think, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing your listeners all, all across the state, uh, I'm from Davidson County, uh, uh, grew up there, and my wife is from Randolph County. Um, you know, I, I was just there recently. You know, traveling 64 uh, over to that part of the state, there's a new bypass over in the Randolph County area. And so anytime a bypass goes in, I think folks get worried about, like, well, what's going to happen to the downtown area? Fortunately, in talking with people in uh, Randolph County, that that hasn't negatively impacted uh, the economic business community in in that space. Um, But think about roads. They're so critically important. Um, to pushing people into an area, business then grows, and it takes 20 years. You know, it takes years and years for that investment to grow. Well, water and sewer is just like that. Uh, and, and then broadband is becoming just like that now. And that's why there's a major push uh, to expand broadband uh, access and fiber in all parts of, of the state or some some believe that you know some places, counties, rural are going to be left out of an economic boon um, for not having high-speed internet. Fire protection is something that uh, is also comes into play because that's uh, typically been a service of a city. Uh, what about the uh, rural areas as far as fire protection? Yeah. So another, and I left that out of uh, um, when we were talking about workforce. By the way, I should have mentioned. Uh, our firefighters as well. You know, things have changed significantly over the past 25 years or so um, about volunteer fire departments. Uh, Usually a community would, you know, you'd have a volunteer fire department. We still do, and we have volunteer fire departments out there. But I think culture has shifted somewhat, beginning to shift or has shifted about having more professional um, fire departments in a community and when i say that i mean like uh, paid firefighters there 
um, and and getting the workforce to vo- to be volunteer firefighters, or even getting the workforce to be paid vol- uh, paid firefighters, uh, is is a is a big issue right now. And um, that's again probably a whole nother show you could have with the with the firefighters association. But uh, you know there are taxing districts for uh, uh, for firefighters and fire districts. And you can see that on on your on your property tax bill, uh, and that and then another component is of, of that is the insurance uh, community, you, you know, lowering rates for your your homeowner's insurance if you have a fire uh, department close to you. So it's pretty it's a pretty important issue, but it's changing it's changing as we speak, and counties are facing a workforce shortage in in that area as well. Our guest is Kevin Leonard, and we will be back. He is the executive director of the North Carolina Association of County Commissioners. We'll talk a little bit more about education, including the public schools, the community colleges, and such. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. They are our cuddlers and coworkers, purr machines and love bugs, and constant companions. They are our pets, our family, and they make life so much better. When we face unexpected challenges in life, so do our pets. That's why we're on a mission to support people who love their pets and the pets who love their people, ensuring these families stay exactly where they belong, together. And you have something to offer. With an open heart and mind, there is nothing you can't do. There's no gesture too small or too big when it comes to helping. Whether donating a bag of kibble, sharing an Instagram post of a lost cat, or welcoming a foster pet into your home, every bit of kindness counts. You can help keep pets and people together. Visit petsandpeopletogether.org to learn how to be a helper in your community. This has been a public service announcement brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? Stop. That dog does not want to be petted. A heads up before something bad happens. You should not send that text. Uh-oh. Life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can reverse pre-diabetes and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with uh, Kevin Leonard, the Executive Director of the North Carolina Association of County Commissioners here on Carolina Newsmakers. Uh, Kevin has uh, uh, been bringing us up to date on some of the things that are facing the counties, uh, the 100 counties of North Carolina. Uh, And uh, uh, we want to turn in this segment to talking a little bit about the duties and responsibilities and charges that the county commissioners have with regard to uh, education, the public school system, uh, the community colleges, uh, this also, I guess, brings in uh, the topic of broadband access because that uh, can be considered a, an educational matter. Uh, and uh, now you still have some city and county school systems. Uh, there for a long time we had uh, uh, in counties that uh, uh, had more than one municipality, we had a number of school systems. Uh, there's been a lot of consolidation there. Where does that stand as far as how many city school systems still exist? So it's really interesting that you bring that up. Uh, I feel like there's a, a maybe 115 uh, local education 
I don't know if it's agencies or not. I, I miss. I don't know my acronym there, but LEAs. Um, it it's kind of a misnomer about city schools. There's there are like two systems of of schools, um, and in some cases in counties you have three, um, but they're technically all still funded the same way. But they still have the the city school name, like Lexington City Schools. And, uh, you know, good history here, uh, which I'm I'm not the I'm not the expert on, but I I do know somewhat about it is that you can look back to. You know, racial issues related to different school systems and uh, whether it's a city school or, you know, the, the traditional county, what they call the county school. Um, but that's a that's a an area of significant interest to me about you know the history of our school systems in the state of north carolina i won't delve into that too deeply but i think as a history lesson to to the listeners about why counties are engaged and and how they're engaged and i mentioned this earlier in an earlier segment about what is the statutory responsibility of the county with the school systems because you have like you know uh, wake county schools etc or davidson county schools um, and, and and that is back in the 1930s, uh, during the Great Depression, you had system units of government going bankrupt, um, and um, and North Carolina was a major leader uh, in the nation in terms of restructuring the systems of government, and, and that's why you will hear North Carolina referred to as the good government state. In the 1930s, the assembly looked at a study from the Brookings Institute at that time and adopted a significant amount of the recommendations in there. And some of those were a um, kind of divvying up of responsibilities between local government counties in this particular case uh, and the state government. And one of those distinctions is uh, that counties will be responsible for the infrastructure. Um, mainly the, you know, in this particular case, the school buildings, the courthouses I've already mentioned, uh, et cetera. And then the state would take over responsibilities for the operation of those schools, uh, your teacher pay, uh, what you're doing, uh, sort of the textbooks and, and things such as such as that. Now, the ink wasn't even dry when that, that law passed, when the county started putting funding in operations. Because counties wanted to improve their school system, so they 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 um, put their own county funding in. Count and that again, counties can raise some additional funds different ways, sell, sales tax or or property tax, and they took some of their their money and, and supplemented the operational funding of their schools. Well, the state did the same thing as it related to building schools, because you have disparities across the entire state about how schools were being built. So they started issuing bonds. Uh, for building a statewide school bond, and they did that about every ten years, um, from say the nineteen you know thirties, started in really twenties, but up until um, the the nineties, and then the lottery came in, and the lottery then helped to fund some some school capital. What is Again, the relationship another- between the state board of education and the local board of education? Yep. So um, the state board, you know, sets standards um, for, you know, educational standards and gives instructions. The the local school board of education, locally elected by the folks who who live there in the county, 
They have impact on hiring the superintendent of the school system and then really giving the flavor of um, how the school system is run in in that community or in that county. The states, it's my understanding that the state board gives sets standards statewide so that there's a uniform standard of education in the state of North Carolina, but at the local level, they can spend those dollars um, that they receive in the way that they see fit in, in that local community. And again, hire the superintendent. As the superintendent, uh, as you as you can imagine, has a lot of influence on how the school system is run and operated there. Now, the county government will, uh, again, we talked about this a little earlier, budget not only the school buildings and where they're going to be built and how many and where, uh, location-wise, but they also put in operational funding, too, to help supplement teacher salaries uh, and, and operations. So that, that's the nuts and bolts of how the county government, county commissioners interact with the school board uh, there um, on, on a local basis and how it sort of plays out at the state as, as well. Good question on the state school board. So basically, uh, the teacher salaries are paid by the state, but there is a supplement in many counties, if not all counties. Is that correct? That's correct. That is correct. And 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 I would say most counties. And and then you have you have some counties who um, you know who worry. We we going back to workforce issues um, about well, we we can't afford to give a supplement um, to to our our teachers as much as the county is doing next door. That's why it's really important for, I think, the state to to provide the level of teacher salaries, uh, an adequate level for all teachers across the state. Um, so we don't end up in a situation where counties are competing uh, with one another for workforce uh, we as have, well. We have a university uh, system with uh, campuses across the state, but we also have the community colleges and they operate entirely different than the consolidated university or the uh, the uh, 16 campus university system. Uh, so uh, the counties, of course, uh, I guess, appoint the trustees to run the community college. Is that correct? They, they appoint some of them. Um, yes. Uh, there is, you know, the, the local community college board, the community county commissioners have some appointments to that, but I think also there are some state level appointments as well. And there's the president of the local community college. They actually just had some major reform in the general assembly this year about the state community college president and duties that he or she has to govern over the community college system. I'm, I don't feel like I'm probably the best to speak about all of that because I don't know the intricacies of, of those changes, but I do know that there was a, some pretty significant changes uh, there. Um, again, just like the public K through 12 school systems, the county commissioners in the state of North Carolina have some responsibility responsibilities for infrastructure, bricks and mortar spending at the community college level. Plus, as you mentioned, Don, they have an appointment to the local the local community college board. And, and again, if you think about it, this makes sense. Just like the school board and the funding there and uh, that we believe, I believe, the, the association believes that, you know, the, the government closest to the people is the best level of government because they can react to the current events going on. They can um, uh, basically reflect their their community and their county and have influence. And so the state, and this is again, we're going back to advocacy, 
the state um, does, and we believe should more, uh, give more influence and ability to the local elected leaders to do that, to reflect what's going on in, in their community. Now, there are instances that we need to have standardized things across the state, like education, et cetera, um, public safety. Um, but there are also elements that you need to have um, some some flexibility. We have an amazing state. <laughs> we really do. I love our state. And we're, we just, we just uh, I think we do things really well in North Carolina. But Macon County in the mountains is not the same as Hyde County on the coast. You know, Ocracoke, the city of Ocracoke in Hyde County, you can only get there by ferry. So they have they have a whole different set of issues than, say, Macon County or Cherokee County, where it takes you 30 minutes to get around the mountain uh, to for, you know, it's really by the crow flies five miles, but it takes you 30 minutes to, to get around the mountain. So. We have a lot of differences in our state in these counties, um, and they're all required to deliver these same services, but they need to do it. They need to have the flexibility to do it in, in different ways. You know, we say this, Don, a lot at our office and around our members. If you've been to one county, you've been to one county. Uh, and I, <laughs> I can tell you that that's, that's true. Having been to all of them, it's, it's, it's great to see because they have – they're so creative in how they approach things and, and create solutions to serve the people of North Carolina. Well, you know, we say this about a lot of uh, businesses. They're all the same, but they're all different. And I guess, Indeed. yeah. Uh, broadband, broadband access is, uh, of course, also, I guess, falls into this area of uh, education, and that uh, continues to be a major target. Uh, and we've made some progress there. So where do we stand on broadband access and its expansion? Thanks for the opportunity to talk about this. Um, so our our past president, um, her name is Tracy Johnson, and she is a county commissioner from Washington County. Uh, she's been working on broadband for over 16 years, uh, trying to raise awareness to the fact that in her county, Washington County, they have little access to to high-speed broadband. You know, they might have some cell coverage on cell towers for your phone, and it might be spotty at best, but they have little to no high-speed fiber broadband. And uh, and I'll tell you, right now, there has there's been no other time in the history of the United States and in, in the technology that we have that there have the, the amount of resources available to put fiber in the ground right now is amazing. Federal government um, has been pushing a lot of funding into this area. And North Carolina has been leading the way. We, we have our the, one of the first broadband offices. The uh, Deputy Secretary, Nate Denny, is doing an amazing job of working with us, with counties and stakeholders, uh, to try to accelerate the ability to get broadband out there and uh and and so our association over the past year has been working to educate our members um and work with the stakeholders to 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 get that fiber in the ground as soon as possible but we're running into those issues that i talked about earlier um enough getting enough fiber i mean they got to make the stuff um enough uh workers to put it in the ground um, and then, um, you know, 
ma- making sure that we can do it in, in such a timely fashion. Okay, so that that's sort of the, the nuts and bolts there of, of where we are. But to the bigger issue of what what if we don't have broadband? Well, COVID taught us that we we have a problem. One uh, and two that with rem- with the ability to have Zoom and Teams and all these other new tools, people can work anywhere. And think about all those rural counties out there that have beautiful waterfront places, but in, in the eastern part or the mountain vistas that may not have broadband. A lot of people are moving all across the country and they're looking for places that they can do their work anywhere. And so we are trying to to do the best we can to get that out there for economic development and education. Our guest um, is on, Kevin on Leonard. Uh, excuse me, Kevin. Our, our guest is Kevin Leonard, Executive Director of the North Carolina Association of County Commissioners. We have one final segment. We want to talk about taxes and where the money comes from to fund all these duties and responsibilities. And we'll do that right after these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Talking to your kids about the dangers of vaping can be hard. Getting them to listen to hot gossip is easy. So here's some drama you could share with your kid. Dude, did you hear about Cassie and Jake? No, but did you hear that vaping can cause irreversible lung damage and nicotine affects brain development? (gasps) Nuh-uh. You don't need to gossip if you want to have an open conversation about vaping. So if you want to get tips on when and how to talk to your kids, visit TalkAboutVaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week, giving us an education on how the counties of North Carolina work, what their duties and responsibilities are in serving this the 10 uh, plus almost 11 million people that now live in the state of North Carolina. Uh, Kevin, uh, all of this stuff costs money, and uh, we uh, need revenue not only for the counties, but for the cities and, of course, for the state. So give us a picture of how money is raised here in North Carolina to run all these different uh, levels of government. Taxes, everyone's favorite subject matter, I'm, I'm sure. Um happy to do that you know and it's funny having done this job now for uh, 14 plus years i think about taxes in a different way now um let me let me line i guess outline for you in county government uh well let me start at state state government income tax right and then there's corporate tax uh the, the they collect taxes in in that fashion an individual income tax and a corporate tax and the assembly has been working uh, to reduce that tax burden, whether it be income 
um, or whether it be uh, corporate, and those mechanisms that they're working on there incentive in, in their stating incentivize uh, more economic development uh, if we have a lower tax burden, et cetera. Um, that's up for debate. You know, I'll let other people debate, you know, that the tax policy at the state level. At the county level, but but purely that's the mechanisms by which they, they collect taxes. But at the county level, the mechanisms are property tax and, and sales tax. The state also has sales tax too, by the way. I forgot to mention that. Um, so the property tax, if you own real property, if you own house or farmland, et cetera, any type of land, real property, then you're going to uh, pay some level of property tax. Uh, there are different rates at which you would pay property tax, um, given like if it's an ag agricultural property, you might have a, a lesser tax rate, et cetera. It's called present use value. But there, there's a, that's a main revenue a staple. And it makes sense if you think about it, you're owning property, the county government's providing services to protect that property, whether it's protect you and, and you know, um, you know, from public safety standpoint, but also fire, we talked about that earlier, and, and protecting property. So there's a property tax that helps feed some of those and a lot of those services uh, to, to protect property and people who live in the in the county. And the sales tax is uh, another main revenue stream for counties and the state. So in the state of North Carolina, the state has a, a I think it's a 4.25% sales tax. That's the base. And then in each county, there are diff you can supplement that sort of, again, back to my layer cake analogy, there are additional quarter cents or whole cent um, add-ons to that 4%. And the highest in the state that you could get in, in, in a county, I think, is like 7.75%. And there's some, it gets really more detailed than that uh, in, in the specific taxes. But that's, those are the major uh, revenue sources. And why I think differently about it now is because I look at all the things that counties do with that tax dollar. And they're very, you know, from my experience, county commissioners are very concentrated on using those dollars very wisely to serve the people on those programs that they, they one, must do, the mandates through the statute and the discretionary services that they have. So they, they turn around, spend those dollars. And, and again, some of them are obligated, like the schools, um, they, they mean they have to do those things. So so it's a balance. It's it's a truly a balance that they have before them to try to fund all the things they need to fund and do the things extra that the people want, given the sources of funding that they have. I, I had that's a, helpful, Don. I had a great uh, friend in Scotland County named Albert McMillan, who was county board chair about 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And every time someone would bring up a service that they wanted, Albert would look at him and say, I am willing to vote for anything that you're willing to fund. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's a and, good line. And uh, I thought that was a good explanation. And it did cause people to think because, uh, you know, there's not an infinite amount of money, and it does have to be apportioned out. Well, let's, let's talk about a major change here uh, briefly, and that's Medicaid expansion, which uh, has gone into effect in North Carolina. And that's going to be a, a, a boom to some of our counties as far as uh, providing uh, health uh, care for a number of people. One of our top legislative issues this past year that our, by the way, our, our members vote on these. And, and uh, so all 100 counties get one vote in our process. And this was our 
our top in our top three, and that was to support Medicaid expansion, especially in the rural counties, especially those rural hospitals, because it's going to expansion is going to be really critical uh, to saving some of those those rural hospitals and the rural care. Um, um, another subject matter you could delve into are the jails and folks who may be in in jail who need treatment or or care, um, and. And that's a whole other big big issue to, to discuss. But it, it is going to to be a, a big issue. We're talking today. I think it's on the the it, late November, December first is the day that uh, Medicaid expansion goes live. So uh, very soon, and uh, it will have a major impact in our DSS offices. In, in a person who is going to be qualified for Medicaid must apply. And that application goes through a county DSS office, and they become what's termed eligible. And the eligibility criteria is set forth by the state. That has to go through the process in a DSS office. And so that's actually, from a, again, mechanics issue, is something that a county does to, uh, to qualify an individual for Medicaid. So right now, our concentration is the workload in the DSS office related to Medicaid expansion. Um, it's a moment in time. It will we'll get past that. Our counties uh, are are you know preparing. They've been preparing the state and in coordination with the state, and um, and so that's where we are. And I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a major benefit to the people of the state of North Carolina and to uh, and to the counties uh, you, to have that expansion. You mentioned at the beginning of the program you wanted to mention the opioid problem that we have in North Carolina and also a new project of your current president. So those are two subjects, and I'm going to get out of the way and let you uh, bring those up. Thank you so much, Don. I really appreciate that time. So our current president uh, is Johnny Carswell from Burke County. Uh, he has a quite uh, a story, compelling story about, about his personal experience. He lost a son. Uh, to an opioid uh, overdose and to substance use disorder. Um, he was sworn in as our president in August of, uh, of this year. And uh, each of our presidents has presidential initiative. I already mentioned Commissioner Johnson on broadband. Commissioner Carswell is focusing on, on the opioid uh, crisis uh, with his personal story. And his presidential initiative is called One More Thing. And that comes out of him and his wife asking themselves what what was the one more thing we could have done to save their their son as i said it's a pretty compelling story and so he's he's challenged all the counties in the state of north carolina and county commissioners across the state what's the one more thing that they can do to help save a person's life uh, who is struggling with substance use uh and and so that's what we're working on this year. And the association's been engaged and involved in the uh, in the opioid settlement that just occurred uh, this past year or past couple of years. We worked very closely with Attorney General Josh Stein. Um, and we, I believe, in my, my opinion, we have one of the best settlements in, in the country in North Carolina as it relates to the division of the, the settlement dollars coming in. They're going to the local level. The county government will receive about 85% of those funds directly spread out across the counties. And uh, in total, over 18 years, um, we will receive about $1.5 billion 
that will go directly towards the treatment of, uh, of opioid addiction and substance use. These are things that are just critically important because I've spent a lot of time over the past several months looking at the subject, studying it, the mental health issues, the substance use issues, they're all tied to so many different things that impact every single person listening here. And whether you know it or not, whether you've had somebody in your life who's been going through this, or you're just a taxpayer. And it gets back to those conversations earlier, Don. We're spending so much money in the state on, on service, uh, treatment, and sometimes not, but they're ending up in the jail system, in the human service system. And if we were to just take some time to spend some preventative care, um, preventative treatment, not only are you saving people's lives and putting them back in a trajectory uh, to being, you know, contributing citizens, um, you're reducing the significant cost of, of government by taking a preventative approach to this. And so, Anyway, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak about this. If your listeners are interested in the subject matter, I would direct them to our website uh, and look up one more thing uh, initiative. There's a lot of issues. There are a lot of attention being paid to this right now. And and uh, happy to talk further with you about this or anybody who wants to. But uh, it's something we're, we're working on bringing attention, not only in North Carolina, but across the entire nation. Thank you, Don. Kevin, uh, thank you so much for this update. Uh, now, We've got about a minute and a half for you to answer this question. Uh, okay. Next week, uh, you will go back to work. So what are the top items on your current agenda for, the say, the next three months and then also maybe for the next year? You've got about a minute. Okay. So that, that's a um, – I'll take your challenge. So um, well, I mentioned the, the work we're doing in, in opioids, so, so there's that. Um, mental health, I think, is at the top of the list. Um, you know, mental, mental health is, is such in behavioral health. There's so much going on in the state of North Carolina right, right now um, uh, about that. So we'll be spending a lot, a lot of time um, talking about that and working on, on those issues. The General Assembly, you know, is getting ready to come back uh, into session. Um, when I say that, it sounds like it's next week. It's not. They're coming back in, in May. Uh, but that's right around the corner. And so we'll be working on those issues uh, and just getting ready for the session to come back, uh, to come back in, um, to talk about public school financing, uh, th those those issues. You know, another another big thing that's uh, going on right now, Don, is cybersecurity. Uh, it's a big threat. So I'll stop right there because I could keep going, but I'll turn it back over to you and say thank you for the opportunity to be here. Well, thank you for the update. It's been great. Our program, of course, has been produced by Jason Kong. If you'd like to hear a repeat of the broadcast or share it with a friend, you can do so by going to carolinanewsmakers.com and either hearing the entire broadcast or perhaps the segments that you might have missed. Kevin Leonard, thank you so much for being with us. Jason Kong will have another guest for us next week, and we'll look forward to being back with you on the same group of stations. Till next week, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. 
Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.